you got the lapel on, so I can't make you do unnecessary things. I'm Muslim anyway, so I don't drink, man. <laughs> you know that automatically made me want to say something about Trump. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> I respect that. But yeah. thank you for coming to break bread with me. Thank you for I supporting me. It. I appreciate um, it. You did your grass and you're doing great work, Mike. I appreciate that, man. You've always been a powerful force in the community, but I know you. Uh, my team knows you, but a lot of people in the community don't know you. Yeah. So if you could, just tell us a little bit about what you do at FIU. Great. Thanks. I, I have the honor of serving at FIU as the vice president of engagement. Uh, that doesn't mean that I marry people, uh, but it does mean that I, I'm responsible for helping our institution build partnerships that really advance our students and faculty. Uh, it was created when our president became the president of the university around this idea that universities have a really important role to play in connecting the dots between different different uh, institutions, different people, different companies. And really, at the end of the day, it's about creating win-win value for our students and faculty. So you've been titled, whether you wanted to or not, as a disruptor. Yeah. What do you feel that you're doing that's disruptive in our community right now? So at the end of the day, the work that we're doing is really predicated on the idea that the best opportunity in our community oftentimes is on the other side of this really big wall. Um, and that wall is really privilege, it's entitlement. And if you think about it, if we create more partnerships, more relationships, we can disrupt that one thing that distinguishes opportunity for our highest potential people and where those opportunities are. And that's really the disruption of social capital. Okay. All right, that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, guys, if you have questions, just kind of come up and stand right over here to the speaker and you can uh, ask questions. So, as you know, my goal is to just get into it. Yeah. So, let's do it. I, I, I told you I was going to bring you here to ask the uncomfortable questions. Let's do this it. is the stuff we're supposed to talk about in private. But sure. What's the difference between FIU and Stanford? When you look at the qualities of FIU and you're talking about the tech industry and building South Florida up. Correct. What separates a Stanford from an FIU? Well, I think that one of the first things that separates us is the size of their endowment. And when you're a private university that's got almost a 100-year edge on a small public university, uh, that's really one of the first things. So right. the amount of uh, philanthropy that they have. But when you're talking about actual talent, we're thinking about the ability to provide more people uh, an opportunity to connect to the American dream. That's what we're doing. That's our edge over Stanford. And the truth of the matter is, what we have with our students, with our alumni, that social capital that we have by staying connected to our students, I think is even worth more than every dollar they have in their endowment. One of and the it's on us to activate that those relationships on the behalf of everybody we're serving. Boy, I swear, I feel like you knew my questions before I answered. Uh, one of the things about FIU that a lot of people don't know is your computer science program is actually one of the largest in the nation. Correct. And one of the most diverse in the nation. Correct. With a lot of people complaining about diversity and inclusion, and you're literally the solution. Yeah. What is the, what's the missing link? Why don't we have that connection with the solution and the problem when you are actually the solution for the problem we have? So I, you know, I would say that that critique might have been fair a few years ago, but increasingly we're seeing America's biggest, most competitive companies coming directly to us. When we hear this issue of that there are not enough folks of color in the technology industry, we're the third largest school of computer science in this country. We have an ability to connect all of those talent needs that those companies like Facebook, like Google, like Twitter have. We have that right here. 
here. If we were an HBCU, we would be one of the top 10 HBCUs in America. And so really, if we have to ask ourselves, are the people who are making these critical hiring decisions intentional about trying to diversify the ranks of their engineers and other, other career portfolios, or is there more talk than reality? And the truth of the matter is, we're ready to step up, and we've got a, a supply of talent, which is second to none, and are willing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best innovators anywhere in America coming out of any other university. All right. Self-born, I already know the question. Yes, you, I already know. I got Self-born was about to ask you, sure. how did you feel about Betsy DeVos coming to Bethune-Cookman since you mentioned the HBCU thing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's, a great, that's a great question, right? And I think that, that at the end of the day, uh, as, as we saw with our own president, as well as with the Miami-Dade County Public Schools, those of us who are institutional change makers have a responsibility to try and unlock opportunities for the stakeholders that we're serving. We're not here on a political basis to make those judgment calls about what's right politically or not. We're the high neutral ground. Students have to be willing, have to be able to express their freedom of thought. Universities, especially public institutions, even private institutions, have to be that high neutral ground that allow every young person to express themselves in the way that they feel most authentic and most comfortable. So if they're going to be students who decide to do that at Bethune, that's well within their right. That's the reason why we live in the United States of America. That's why people like me who left the Caribbean, a country of Guyana that was going socialist where that wouldn't have been possible to right. express myself that way. I think that that's part of the beauty of the richness of our country. And the minute we lose that we lose everything that makes us great. Let's give them a round of applause for that well response. Said. That was well said. <laughs> I got to find something to stomp you. Maybe we got to talk about share or something. You're a little bit too smart for me. Um, I don't know about that, man. I don't know about that. Jeez. You're playing th some throwback jams there that <laughs> took me back to my greatest right. years, right. circa 1996. We're going to go there. We're going to go okay, there. Good. We're going good. there. Um, so... I personally don't see a lot of integration with tech startups and yeah. corporations in yeah. South Florida. Yeah. How do you think we fix that problem? Well, we're working on that, Mike. We're working on that right now. So I have the privilege of serving this year as the chair of the Disruption Work Group of the Chamber of Commerce. And in that role, it's really about connecting insurgents and incumbents. Okay. We have to be a community that's finding meaningful linkages. We know that the companies that are out there, the Tesser Healths of this world, and I know my, my buddy Gregory Johnson, who is with uh, Tesser Health, is out here in the crowd. We have to be a type of community where the Tesser Healths of this world are able to get connected to the Baptist health systems. We have to be the type of institution as a community where the Kairoses of this world, an amazing facial recognition AI company, is able to get connected right, to right. the Miami Dolphins. If we don't do that, we're, we're failing, and somebody should fire us from this for being- This boy is uh, on fire. Jesus. Yeah, man, let's just talk about music. You too smart for me. What is your favorite group? What are you? What is Scythe listening to? Okay, so here's what I think is the best icebreaker Scythe question. Scythe the Five-Footer would have been okay. a dope name if you yeah, were shorter, Scythe the five by footer. the way. Yeah, you little too Instead, tall. Instead, we go with Scythe 305. Right. Okay. Um, so you gotta, this man came to the stage with a rap name. Just give him whatever he want tonight. Yeah, that's... Scythe gets drinks yeah. and everything. So I think the best question to ask anybody when you're doing building a team is to ask people, what was the first concert you ever went to? What was your first concert, Michael? Oh. Flipping around on you, bro. I know, right? I've been drinking too much. Um, unfortunately, it was a Kenny G concert. Kenny G. With my parents. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Your concert. Wait, is that officially called a concert? Wait, let's pause for a second. <laughs> that, <laughs> sounds like a, that sounds it's, like... That sounds like... It's music being played. All right. Um, that sounds like a concert. 
My uh, first concert that I went <laughs> I like that. First concert I went to on my own was a DMX concert. Okay, good. Yeah. You want to know Rough my first Friday. concert? What's that? Public Enemy. Whoa. Right Whoa. here at the Miami, the old Miami Arena. Well, see, you got to understand, I grew up in Panama City, so my homeboy, one of our best friends from the eighth grade is here. Um, actually, sixth grade. We have those kind of opportunities. Yeah. So, so like, it was DMX. The people that was, we got lucky. Actually, the first celebrity I met, though, was Foxy Brown and Jay-Z. So, uh, Club La Vila used to be, if you guys remember watching um, MTV, the spring break shows, that was filmed in my city at Club La Vila. So, we were too young, but... Yeah, this talk game I got, y'all see it. This talk game was serious. So we used to sneak in there everywhere, be like, nah, man, we just here to help the DJ with the crates. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, we used to sneak into that kind of stuff. But my first concert that I actually paid, and so it was DMX. So we didn't really have a lot of culture. Where I was from, it was yeah. the basis of classism. So honestly, moving to South Florida, moving to North Carolina, places like that were the first places I experienced any form of racism, any kind of cultural divide. Yeah. You know, we listen to country music, we listen to jazz, that was everything. So my life was more so the haves and has not versus just a race thing. So if you were black with money, you were just as good as anybody else. Yeah. So a lot of things that I wanted to experience, it was all on TV. Yeah. It was, you know. Was a lot of racism at those wild Kenny G tour dates. You know, Kenny G just had a lot of negative energy. <laughs> it was something to buy. Shootouts. You know what? Songbird will do something to you, though. No matter what happens when that song come I, I on. Think I remember that tour. They were shooting in the parking lot. <laughs> you just Kenny feel G. awkward. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but moving back to it, as a disruptor. What are the main changes and the main focuses that you want to see happening in Miami in the next year? So I think one of the main focuses is that I want to see more people of influence that have networks opening up those relationships for other people. Right. I think that uh, one of the best examples of that is we talk about mentorship, but mentorship is only half the journey. The next level is really sponsorship. The idea of not just making a connection for somebody, but actually kicking down the door and creating those opportunities. And I think that we see this concentration of privilege, which ultimately is what's re resulting in, in fewer amounts of people getting these opportunities. And most notably, we're seeing uh, a, a large number of different types of groups that are getting left behind uh, specifically. And I see this uh, in a lot of different instances. When we think about women of color, there are not those types of opportunities. People are not willing to say, I'm going to be a sponsor. I'm not just going to be a dot connector, but I'm going to actually kick down the door and I'm going to create a, uh, an intentional opportunity. And I'm going to hold a person of influence accountable to really open up their, their network network in the same way that they would for somebody else. And I think that that's really what the next leg of the journey has to be about, challenging people to move way beyond their comfort zone right. and, and the talking points to actually creating opportunities for more people. And as you say that, um, an interesting article ran today on CNBC. And if you guys don't know, I'm going to ask this question. If you had to guess or assume who is the largest investors into female and minority-ran organizations, who do you think it would be? One person had it right, but we knew you were gonna get it right. Anybody else? So it's the Knight Foundation. The Knight Foundation has put over $200 million into minority and diversity-ran organizations and companies, and they're literally just a couple of miles south of here, and a right. lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So my question is, how do we call other people to the table to make sure they're actually making the actions and not just making the talking points? 
Well, I think one of the first things is that the beautiful thing of our democracy is that we have to use our voice. When we see companies that are making decisions using, for example, the Pepsi decision recently, we have to ask ourselves, who is in the C-suite? Who is on the corporate board of these companies? All of us are consumers. Right. We have purchasing power that can ultimately change the perspectives of these institutions, and it's on us. No one is going to make these steps if we don't wind up raising our voice, and more than even just our voice, using our wallets to help better inform the decisions that these institutions are making. And so that's the only way that it's going to happen, and, and it also happens through the boardroom. We have to be uh, the type of we have to be the type of people that are willing to hold these institutions accountable. One of the first things for any company that's your favorite brand, you should go on to the corporate governance website of the of the firm and ask yourself who is on the board of directors and ask yourself does that board of directors look like anybody that's within your circle and if the answer is no then at a proxy shareholder meeting you should show up even if you own one share and during the question and answer time with the CEO ask how come there isn't more diversity in the ranks of their corporate board because that is where some of the most important decisions are made in our country. Boy, it's dropping gems tonight. All right. So the last question before we take a break and we're going to bring you back. What's one of the biggest or largest assumptions you think most people make about you before they actually take the time to have a conversation and get to know you? Uh, two things that uh, that I'm straight out of India <laughs> and that I'm not from the Caribbean. Let's give it up. West Indies in the house. Uh, yes, yes. I miss my air horn. <laughs> You got it? You got that on? We got it on cue? We'll, we'll get it next time. That's probably one. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, what else? Uh, that I'm a little bit more um, scripted than I really am. I think that I'm uh, a practical joker. Uh, I'm a prankster. You I'm are. A lot of those you types have of a things great that, sense of humor, but I think yeah. um, people will put scripted on you just because you're so intelligent and you have a great response for any question because you actually care about the community. So everybody appreciate should know this man is not scripted. He's just actually someone that cares. Thanks, man. So uh, appreciate we appreciate you for being here for the first part. We're going to bring Sife back so we can have an open table conversation. I got a question. Oh, you I'm sorry. Save it? You, want to, you want to do it now? You yeah, we're going to save it. We're going right, to bring cool. her back because we want to have him up here with Sheila. So we're going to take literally a 30-second break to do a uh, mic shift, and we're going to bring up LaToya, our president, and Sheila from Curvy... Curly and conscious, yes. Yes, that's called drinks and liquor, but I'm back. I'm here. All right, so we're going to bring them up real quick, but we appreciate you guys for paying attention to Tech Beats and Bites, so make your way to the bar real quick, but give us two minutes. We're going to do a mic change and bring up our next guest. Sife, don't leave us. Get a drink. We're going to have you back, man. All right, we'll be right back, guys. Hello, I'm LaToya Stewart with a DigiBytes alert. On June 14th at Lab Miami will be the first ever Miami Growth Hacking Summit. What does that mean? You will learn how to exponentially grow your business. Whether you need sales advice, marketing tips, or even just advice on how to tell your brand story, the Miami Growth Hacking Summit is for you. For more information and to purchase your tickets, please visit the address below. We also have scholarship tickets available. So if you're on a budget, but you know you need to be in the building, just send an email to the email address below and we will look out for you. There's limited tickets available, so be one of the first. And of course, we look forward to seeing you there. I'm LaToya Stirrup, and until next time, this is DigiBytes. Hello, 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 good people. Let's focus back on the stage, because I have two fantastic queens with me on stage right now. We have Kodira, who is a part of our DigiGrass team. She also is a consultant. 
And we have the phenomenal Sheila Marie of Curvy Curly Conscious. So we're going to talk about all things women, curves, curls, everything in between, entrepreneurship, and just being a boss, right? Yes, we are. All right. So, Sheila, let's get it started. All right. Curvy Curly Conscious. Every great movement has a fantastic beginning story. Aww. How did it start? That's such a good question. Well, sometimes I heard a quote said, like, you start before you're ready. Mm. Something like that. And I feel like Curvy Curly Conscious, I didn't know what I was doing as I was doing it. And it turned into a thing at the end. And I was like, whoa, I have, like something here. So it started that I was using the hashtag, hashtag curvy and curly. And I was on Instagram sharing my journey with like self-love, depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. thoughts of like, you know, women are so hard on our bodies. So I started to share like, listen, love your body every step along the way. And so that kind of got a lot of mobilization and women kind of magnetized around me in that way. And so I saw this community of strong, beautiful women that were vulnerable with each other, that were open, that were like, hey, me too. Sometimes I don't know, wanna get out of bed in the morning. And sometimes I don't know who to talk to about my anxiety or sometimes I look at the mirror and I hate my body too. And so there was this this community of women who supported each other and loved each other and I was like, "All right, we got to I got to do something for my tribe." Yeah. Like these ladies, I just I just felt called to like what can I do to help? And so what I did was create Curvy Curly Conscious and we were, I didn't know at the time, it's a brand now. And we also produce self-love day parties, which we just had one this last Saturday in Miami. It was great. I yeah. was there. It was amazing. <laughs> They're so amazing. I just love what I do. And I just get to pour into women and let them pour into themselves and just watch the magic happen. And so that's how it started. Awesome. You have something? No, I just want to say oh. that I had an amazing time at Curvy Curly Conscious this past Saturday. And, and you were a panelist. And I was a panelist. Whoop, whoop for me. <laughs> um, but I was just telling someone here today that your tribe that I feel like I am now a part of, they listen to you. How does that feel to you mm. that someone is hanging off of your every word and actually implementing what you say? My whole life, people told me you talk too much. Everybody told me when I was little, you talk too much, you need to stop talking. And like my whole life, I was like, I just wish I could be the strong, silent type. And that's just <laughs> never me, ever. That's never gonna be me. Right. That wasn't how I was made. So it took me a time to, like when people started following me, like I just talk about anything on Snapchat. I just do voices. I talk for my plants, like I just do anything. I'm like, why do people care? Like, I didn't understand, I, I didn't know my ranting about Steve Harvey or my ranting <laughs> about this. And I just thought, okay, well, there has to be some reason that people are here. Maybe the reason is because you talk too much. Mm. And so trying to reframe mm. that in a way of like, all right, so how can I blend the things that I like? And the things that I like are not taking yourself too seriously. I like laughing and I like talking about how to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I talk talk about and the fact that people care what I say still amazes me to this day. So because I, I love it. I thank you. Yes. Yes. And just want to touch on something because you mentioned Snapchat. So because this is a tech show and we cover tech. Yes. Which is your favorite platform? Do you have a platform of choice when it comes mm. to social media? That is a very complex answer because social media changes so rapidly. It does. So yeah. the way that you use one medium to interact with people changes every like three to six months. 
Before, my favorite was Snapchat because on Instagram, I have a lot of followers and like my family found me and my grandma and my dad and like all my employees that I used to like employers and stuff like that. And right. I still say what I want. You know, I see people in the, all the time and they're like, don't you ever feel bad? I'm like, listen, my dad know what time it is. My, <laughs> you know, if you meet Sheila, you know everything I have to say with you in the room or with you out the room. Mm -hmm. You know how I feel about women. You know how I feel about race. You know how I feel about feminism. You know. So there's a part of me that has to be very comfortable with being who I am. Mm -hmm. Now, my favorite used to be Instagram, but then things started to change. Snapchat came out because of the video, I like to be able to talk better than I like to write, but now Instagram also has Insta stories. Right. And I like Snapchat because they had the filters, but now Insta stories got the filters. So <laughs> right. for me, I think that it, there's not a favorite. I think I communicate differently. I communicate different things in different ways with each medium. Mm -hmm. I know one thing on all the mediums, yeah, I'm going to sound like Sheila right now. <laughs> You'd be snapping. I snap. You snap I snapped on to, all I snapped the yesterday. Medium. I was like, I need to take that off. Why you say, say you that? say whatever comes to your mind. Whatever. Yeah. One night Sorry, I caught Mom you in the Dad. kitchen. <laughs> One night I caught you in the kitchen, Sheila, and you were just there, like making salad and cutting up and going off about Shea Moisture and just like. Oh yeah. Listen, this is how I feel. I, I, a part of what I do is I invite black women to have a voice mm -hmm. because I feel like in so many ways we learn financially, we learn socially, historically, in literature, in film, in TV, in every way to not have a voice, right. a full voice. Right. You can have like, you know, I'm an actress, I'm trained as an actress and you know, you used to go to castings and if you're African-American female, nine times out of 10, they're like sassy black coworker. Right. So like there's a way that, that to me, society allows you to have a voice but it's very limited. It's like, oh, but don't go there. No, 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 that makes people uncomfortable. Don't say that. Right. So for me, I'm like, I invite women to have a voice in the fullness of whatever that means by being the example. And sometimes I offend people and my family calls me and they're like, what's wrong with you? You know? And sometimes I lose opportunities, but at the same time, I don't mind that because I think those are small negotiations along the way because over time, I think I will, the gain is bigger. Exactly. The gain is big. And I like what you're talking about in terms of being authentic because so many times, especially if you're in the corporate structure, mm -hmm. you have to sort of wear that mask. You have to be a different person at 9 to 5 versus who you yes. are 5 to 10 to 12, 1 a.m. How were you able to sort of tune into who you are and be your authentic self? Meditation. Which is a topic we were going to touch on, but go ahead. Divulge. <laughs> That's it. Divulge. That is the only way I... Uh, feel that meditation allowed me to become friends with myself. Mm. And then I started to check in with my star player, like Cat Williams, you know? Like, I was like, yes, Cat, like, check in with show star. What do you think? You know, that's like, <laughs> what do you think about religion? <laughs> what, stop, what, forget what they think. How do you feel about it? How does this food feel when you eat it? Right. Do you really want to be with this man? Mm. When you're quiet, do you like the way you feel? So it was like allowing myself to listen to my thoughts, which were going on all the time, kind of like computer programming. If uh, we're tech here, uh -huh, uh -huh. but if you know, if you have a, a laptop and you know, maybe your grandma gave it to you, or maybe your mom gave it to you, or you bought it used, or however, and you open it and you use it, and one day you find out it's running slowly, or I just don't know why this thing keeps popping up. I don't like this. Right. That computer is going to run the way that it's programmed to run, whether you know what's on there or not. 
You don't have to know that Norton antivirus is on there for it to be using up space and slowing your computer down. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with our internal dialogue, our thoughts and beliefs, the things that we have chosen to accept. I don't have to know those thoughts for them to be actively running my life. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was about going in there and finding the programming and saying, what do I like? What do I want to take out? Do I agree with that still? Maybe I agreed with that last year. I don't agree with that this year. Right. Maybe mom told me that. Is that mom's idea or is that my idea? Mm. So meditation allowed me wow. to become very centered with myself and hear my voice because it had been manifesting in so many ways through sickness, through sabotaging things, through all of these things in my life because I wasn't giving it the space and time. Just like um, if you're in a classroom and the kid in the back is like really wanting attention and the teacher just keeps ignoring them, they're just going to, the, the behavior is going to intensify. All you have to do is say, hey, James, what is it? Oh, I just wanted to say I know the answer. What is it? Green. Good. And that's all it was. Meditation was just giving myself space and time to hear my thoughts and deconstruct, hear them from a distance, right. not accept everything. See what I want, see what I don't want. So meditation is very good in theory. We have a lot of people who are like, oh, I love to meditate, but so many people struggle with the idea of meditating. Not quite sure how to start it, not quite sure what method to take to get into meditation. Short of share some practical tips and tools and things that you've used to really, you know, dive into meditation and sort of claim it and make it a part of your everyday. I love that question. Yeah, I definitely want to bridge the gap between theory and practice. I think that meditation feels intimidating to a lot of people because there's this conception that, um, or this misconception that meditation is only for like monks who are sitting on a hill and they meditate for hours and they only eat plants and you know, they just, you know, I mean like, it's just, it seems like, okay, but how am I gonna still like turn up on Friday and do that? Okay. So people feel that meditation is this thing outside over here that they can't achieve because of the modern circumstances in the life that we live. Please don't take away the Friday turn up. I will never take away the Friday turn up and that's why I'm not orthodox about anything. Right. I don't call myself no expert. Like, I don't believe that what works for me necessarily will work for you. I can share. Maybe it will. I think everybody has to find their own path. But for me, in terms of meditation, I think, number one, you have to find what works for you and fit it into your life. Don't think that meditation is this thing out here that you have to sit for 45 minutes every day. Sitting for 45 minutes every day will change your life. The days that you do that will be different from the days that you don't. However, mm -hmm. start small. That's what I say. Like I teach breathing techniques that you can do while you're driving. You can do them at work when you have a break. Do them in the morning. Literally five minutes of focusing on your breath when you wake up in the morning is all you need to start. And just start. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So do you follow uh, Dr. Reverend Michael Beckwith? No, I don't. I might need to. Okay. Yeah, you need to. So he introduces um, this practice, meditation and consciousness, this whole stay woke movement as spiritual technology. And we're here talking Ooh. about, you know, technology. So would you say that this is some form of spiritual technology since our body is like a computer? And we're absolutely, absolutely. It's just a part of the toolbox we were given. So many times we walk around dragging our lifeless body behind all of the things we think we're supposed to be doing. And our spiritual body also gets left. Like, oh, girl, my bad. You was over there. Come on, girl. Like, we're so busy living life that we don't take time to acknowledge it. And like, our spiritual body has answers, gifts, 
healing, in invitations, all type of doors open, all type of people manifest out of nowhere, all type of healing can happen. Like, but you have to give it the space and time. So at the same time, I will say it starts small. You can start small meditation five minutes a day, five minutes every three days. Don't go hard on yourself. It's all right. At the same time, this is a practice like anything else. And if I told you to play a violin right now, in order for you to get proficient at it, to be able to play beautiful songs, you need to spend time on it. Yeah. So for me, I invest in myself like a job. Like, I read, 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 I meditate, I do healing exercises, I take classes, I focus on the food that I eat, because I literally feel like a part of why I'm here is to be really good to myself, and treat myself well, and constantly be healing, and constantly be clearing, man. It's so important, and all the stuff, I'm on, I'm on social media, thousands of people a day, I'm looking at this so-and-so's body, and she has abs, and I never have abs, because I eat mac and cheese, and fries, and stuff like that, and you know, this person got this bad. And that, there's all these ways in which stuff is constantly coming right. at us that needs to be cleared and let go. Mm -hmm. So I think that the healing, like working on yourself, is a practice. Absolutely. And yes, it's a part of your spiritual toolkit and technology. So to shift focus a little bit, let's talk about being a female entrepreneur. My favorite. Mm. Right. <laughs> How has that been? Give us your the, the most struggle point or pain point that you've had to date. The biggest struggle that I face in entrepreneurship is myself. Mm. That's it. I myself. know that feeling. My own <laughs> ideas about what I can and cannot do. Yes. My own ideas about my limitations. My own fears about reaching out to certain people. My own fears about reaching out to X brand or that brand. Like my own cage that I have built, which says, you're not good enough. You can't do that. Black women don't do that. Mm. What do you mean? You don't have a degree in this. You can't do that. How do you oh, break out of the cage? I don't break out of the cage. I kind of like, because I don't want to like, you know, fight myself and it, it, that kind of creates further tension. I don't want to just take the cage and tear it apart. Mm. I'm kind of like, okay, cage. Because this cage also helps me, like, sometimes being in a box can be conceived as a negative thing, but as we learned in our Koya class, I took a Koya class the other day. Exactly. In addition to this one, sometimes the box is also helpful. The box helps us be on time to things. The box gives us structure, lets us know who we are in the world. So for me, I don't try to break it. I try to figure out how to work with it, and I speak to it. So when I hear, like, oh, but Sheila, like, nobody's going to come to your stuff anyway, I'm like, is that true? Is that what your sister sounds like in your head? Sometimes. <laughs> that's why I said, if, 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 I could, if I could describe my relationship with myself in a movie title, that's why I said it would be The Conjuring. Because I literally feel like sometimes it's cool, and then out of nowhere in the night, like this thing comes in, and you're like, what do you want? You know? And it just like takes over, and then you need a priest to come. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> right, for right. me, I feel like it, that's why I, I just got to keep it real with people. I don't like to feed false information and false ideas about being positive 100% of the time. I don't necessarily think that's the goal. We're human. We're going to have a range of human emotions and human exactly. experiences. So it's not about, to me, like breaking and, you know, taking things. It's just about like, all right, taking inventory. That's interesting that I still think that about myself. Okay, thank you, but no thank you. Do you guys think that entrepreneurship is an emotional, like, adventure? I, I find it to Absolutely. be an emotional adventure. Absolutely. Especially if you are, let's say you're an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. So you're 
business is yourself, mm. right? So you go through ebbs and flows of having clients one day, a project ends, then what do you sort of do in between? And until you get your sort of stock up and you have clients on retainer and you're able right. to sort of maintain your cash flow in between those times, you go through emotional roller coasters. Like I retired three times, literally. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna stop being an employee and I'm gonna break out and do my own thing. Oh wait, ooh, look, all that money's coming out of my account. <laughs> Nothing's coming in. Let me do this again. And I went back and got a job again. So that up and that up and down, that ebb and flow is natural. But it's all about going back to what you were saying, cluing into who you are, knowing your strengths, knowing your purpose, and also allowing yourself to be. And putting fear to the side because fear is what makes you go back and get that nine to five when you know you're really not supposed to be in that cubicle. Fear is what makes you sit there and say, I'll get up and make that commute when you know you could really be working from home. You right. know what I mean? So I, I totally agree. It's an emotional roller coaster for sure. Yes. So how do you face fear when you, because I, I believe that well, I've had some conversations and people are under the impression that everybody's just flocking to you, but you still have to get up and do the work. Um, what is that? How do you conquer the fear that you're facing when you're going into these boardrooms, attempting to get these contracts, getting the contracts? Ooh. You have to dance with it. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it because fear is nothing more than information it's just information about you whatever you're afraid of is just giving you information about the things you value the things you see for yourself so for me i do it anyway do you want me to wait for the plane no okay i find that to be really valuable yeah, just do it anyway i've never heard that before fear is just information right about yourself yeah so i don't so i don't try to like uh Get, push the fear out. I just think of the fear like, I think my healer told me this one time, like think of the fear like a Sesame Street character like that's big and like maybe a bright color and like, you know, they're in the room and you're in the room and you just, it's there, it's this thing and you're right. like, okay, thanks, I'm gonna dance anyway, I'll see you. So the fear, you don't want the fear to go away completely. Exactly. Cause I think if you didn't have any fear, you would like run outside and get hit by a car. You, you know, True. you didn't have any fear, you would just, you know, <laughs> Fear is sometimes is a part of our experience for a reason. So I think fear can sometimes be giving you information, but you have to know for yourself right. what to take and what not to take. Exactly. Perfect. So we are going to actually pause for a second. We're going to shift gears. We're going to do some Q&A. Yes. So we're going to bring Mike and our mystery man and Mr. FIU Shaif on up. And um, pause for a second. We're going to do some music. We want to cue it up, self-born. Yes. Let's hit it. So they can take it and apply it into the real world jobs. The jobs that we are having right now, right now in the community. So it, it is a lot of a change in our, the mindset of the colleges, okay? mm -hmm. that it's basically telling them, hey, you need to update, you need to update fast. Today job, but I really want to try working on that project. Well, no, that's not your job. You're not supposed that's to do right, that. Right. And so I, I can tell you that when I made the decision to become an entrepreneur, I was not a very good employee after
uh-huh. more emotional. It's a it's like Bill Maher overtime. Okay. So yeah. Scythe has the right to reject to answer any questions he wants to answer due to the fact that he's tied to a public university. Oh, that's true. Sheila gotta answer every unquestionable <laughs> question I'm about to ask. Everything that she's uncomfortable with. All right, sounds good. Sheila You complete the fifth. You, you complete the fifth. Sheila can't. Sheila okay. on her own right. I like who's on stage right now because we have family members. Yes. As well as like technical technical major major Cypher's technical is just right? so smart just though dog can we kick it off with my question I'm a, yeah go I'm ahead we're gonna start off so first of all hold on hold on right one now. second let, well, me, let, let him if you have a question come to the front right over here by Dante our cameraman that's running two cameras even though it looks like it's three people out here he's killing it um yes, that's my is. boy if you have a question come to the front Sheila I meant to tell you they want you to you have a very soft voice. Oh, speak louder? Yeah, talk up a little okay. bit so they can hear you. I'm always so loud. Pretend so... like you a DJ. Do like okay. me. Like, Is take this over better? Your, take over your rapper qualities like your boyfriend Ace Hood. <laughs> Pretend you're a rapper right now. Just yell into the mic. Did y'all know that Sheila dates Ace Hood? Who knew that? <laughs> Tasha knows that. Put it in the streets. Jamila. <laughs> That's how we was going to start this off. That was my only question. I just want to know, how did your life change? That's how we kicking off Q&A? Right now. Oh, right. At this That's, very moment. really the first okay. question. That was, spot, I know, that, I know. that was my first question. How did my life change? You're living this life. You're in South Florida. You start dating a rapper that's in like billboards and everything. Like, how did your life change when you started dating Ace Hood? How didn't it change? <laughs> it changed in a lot of ways. I was actually living in Brooklyn at the time when we started dating. So my life changed in, I was living with five people in a communal environment. So that's five people sharing one bathroom. What sharing... kind of communal environment was that? <laughs> Meaning like we had meetings, house meetings. We were like a family. We but would... was it for art, business, like Silicon Valley type communal? No, or we like... were all artists. So we would do I films I watched that together. show last night. Silicon Valley is. I've I never seen it. You haven't that seen that and billions. I heard I need to watch. Yeah, you gotta watch billions. Yeah. But just we would hold just... up. So you was living in a house with five people, mm-hmm. and you started dating a rapper. Yes. They Let me tell y'all something. Everybody out there that think they winning, <laughs> you not winning until you fine and smart. She was in a house with five other people, and she still landed a rapper. <laughs> I just wanted that for Instagram models. Y'all ain't gonna um, make he it. He landed me, by the way. But Ooh, by the way, give that up. Right. Give that Hello. up. Yes. Keep yes. it real. Keep it yes. real. I, you know I what? load him up now. You are right, because I know he would never be doing <laughs> yoga if it wasn't for you. <laughs> I was like, why does Ace Hood got on tights and everything else? He always wanted to. He always wanted to. That's why people like say, like, I didn't really come and change anything. I just invited him. A he woman always can always to. change a man. We know that. He always wanted to, but just didn't have... <laughs> Anyone to take him there. That's why you, you know? don't act surprised. That's why you work for me. You know, this is, what <laughs> this is why we partners. This is what we do. All right. All right. But go ahead and ask that your That was question. our Ace Hood segment. Yes. Right. I had right. to get that in there. So, I, I literally so, wrote that down, my dude. You, you, to think of your I, I, I really sure wrote I that down. Let me check that off. And when he knew you were coming, he was like, wait a minute. Is this who? I was like, yes. But hey. I was like, oh, but, the conference is cool, but she date Ace Hood. Let's talk about that. That's the important right. I'm going to no, check I'm just waiting for the day when a news article comes out and they're like, uh, Sheila Marie's better half. Exactly. Ace Hood. You're in the front. Right? I think wow. she just told Ace he need to propose. Ace. <laughs> right. Right. Ace, are oh, you yeah, watching this? Well, that's a subliminal. Sheila want that ring, my man. <laughs> 
I can't afford whatever you buy. So this segues perfectly into my, Go into ahead, my question, right? Thank you. So, all right, let me ask first, uh, how many parents we got here? Make some noise. We got parents. Anybody got, got children? Yes, yes. All right, so I think about back in the day, I think about going to school and all that. I majored, mm-hmm. was a computer science major. So, like, the last classes I had was, like, Fortran and COBOL, like, stuff that only if you were in that field, you know it, right? So... Talking to the parents right now and then asking someone who would be pretty much an expert in thinking about the companies that will contribute to that. What companies would you say, anybody up here, what companies would you say are the best at creating toys, devices, programs, software, and all of that for our kids mm. to start coding at an early age? Fisher Price has something, has a little centipede that, That's a dope question, that can make you code. But what can we do from the foundation level to start giving our kids something from a company standpoint, toys, anything. Give me something. Talk to me. Right. I love that. I have a six-month-old, so we're not at that point just Congratulations yet. Congratulations to our baby. Tips. Toya got a new baby. Yes. Congratulations, baby. Thank and she you, still looks this great. Six yes. months later, look at this. Praise them. Because we got we to gotta start <laughs> from the beginning. We got to promote coding Exactly. No, I completely on. agree. So and like, things you, come out all the time. But, what do you, you know, think? What's, what's out what's there that we should know about? So I think that that's, uh, we, at the end of the day, we have a responsibility to get kids more immersive in technology. You know, the post-millennial generation, the number one video game for them is, do you know what? What? Minecraft. Yes. I was going to say so Candy Crush. Millenn- millennials, the number one video game is Call of Duty. And that's a very strategic so game. So it actually tells you something. This generation that are incoming freshmen right now in colleges, they're a generation that's about creating things. They're not about a world that exists. A really great set of toys. I've got two kids, a nine and a ten-year-old. Uh, my daughter, Rania, is about to turn 11 next month. My son, Nabil, is nine. And they love a – there's a, um, a game, uh, a set of toys called Little Bits – and it's magnetic electronic circuitry. So it's like Legos for the 21st century. That's what I'm talking about. The other thing that I would say is that we need to get our young people more involved in community-based activities. A lot of people don't know that organizations like the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts, some people think about these organizations as throwback entities. My daughter's a Girl Scout. One of the coolest things when I was selling cookies along with her is that Felicia Hatcher, how many of you here know Felicia? Felicia Hatcher. When I was selling Black Tech Week, Felicia told me that she got her start as an entrepreneur in Girl Scouts. And so if we want to have our young people have more of a sense of belonging in our communities, we need to get them more involved, whether that's in their church groups or their mosque groups or even groups that are not connected to faith-based affiliations so they know that they have a meaningful sense of attachment and belonging. That's how we help fulfill the, the king's vision of building that beloved community. Now, anything off top, like any apps or anything? That so there's a great app called Tinker, T-Y-N-K-E-R. Um, there's a great app that was developed out of uh, MIT's... Uh, uh, universal kindergarten program, which is called Scratch. I love Little Bits. Little Bits is the best. That is the magnetic electronic circuitry. You can build just about anything that you want. And we're in a community like South Florida where we have the Maker Fair. We have all of these spaces where we can get young people connected to these opportunities. Just one quick thing I want to share that we're so proud of as FIU. We recently just got a grant from the National Science Foundation for $3 million by a researcher by the name of Zara Hazari. That entire grant, $3 million, Zara is focused on getting more 
more young women in our community and around America to study physics. If we can get every single physics teacher in America to get one more young girl to consider studying physics, we can actually begin to close the science and technology gap in our country. We're so proud that we just got that stems, that stems, uh, that uh, that gift from that grant from the National Science Foundation. Congratulations. Look, Quick question on that um, physics. How do you? break that sort of fear barrier, right? Because you hear physics and you're just like, wait a minute, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. So what can we do to make sure that our kids understand physics, they can relate to physics, and they can sort of have practical application for it? So I think it actually comes back to something that Sheila was talking about that really uh, connected with me, which is that we need to focus on trying to have more authentic connections with young people. Young people, the best thing about them is that they have a phoniometer, or oh, yeah. somebody else would use a different type of ometer, but I'll, I'm, I'm more PG, right? They, they have a phoniometer. And so for those of us who are adults that want to be role models, we have to really be focused on, on forming meaningful, authentic connections with young people. We need to show them that we're going to put our phones down and that we're going to invest in them, that we're going to spend time with them in a place and space that matters to them. And a lot of that comes from, are they seeing us take pride? Are we modeling the type of behavior that matters? I think that, that that at the end of the day, stronger families, stronger communities comes from that authenticity. And I think that that's the reason why it resonated with me when Sheila was talking about things like a mindfulness practice and things like meditation. That's how we get to the zeros and ones. It starts with the heart and it starts with love. Love that. So before you, I, I just want to piggyback on that. Um, by the way, man, you just need to have your own show. You are amazing, dude. Um, When's your chair talk? Karen, who is yeah. the vice assistant vice president, not the secretary. I assistant vice president, Karen Laverne. Let's give it up for her yeah, right let's there. Let's give it up for Karen. That is my sister in service. We've worked Karen together. Karen made it happen, y'all. Yeah, I Karen, didn't want y'all to think. Karen's the man. Karen is beyond a secretary. Yeah, she, I just wanted to get not, that cleared up. But going back to what you were saying, Sheila, you have a very big presence in social media. There's a, a area where we're at right now where some people are socially addicted, where they can't live their life without social media. And with you having such a strong social media presence, how would you advise our youth and not even our youth, some of the people out here right now, Adults. how would you advise that balance of knowing how to use social media as a tool, but not being addicted to social media? Well, first, I'm probably addicted to social media. <laughs> no, I feel like there's so many studies coming out now of um, that it's literally like it's, it affects our dopamine receptors in our brain to just like g click on it and see if you got an email or and the likes and the and the blue lights. I know I need to get there's an app, isn't there an app that fades the blue light over time? So I need to get all of that because I do think it affects our um, it affects the way our brain functions, especially at night. Um, advice I would give for staying balanced? Huh, that's very difficult because I'm not sure if I actually have the type of balance that I would advise people, to be honest. So First step is being able to admit to it. Yes, because like my whole business is like my marketing, everything is through all of my social media. So me being on social media actually has real consequences for me, like finances, people buying tickets, things like that. So um, I will say this, though. I think that... Um, the main thing that we could do is be aware about how we uh, take in all the other information coming at us on social media. So when you're looking and you're scrolling and you're taking people's pictures and people's lives and representation of their lives as fact, or as, oh my gosh, this it, social media is just a highlight reel or a snapshot of people's lives. So being able to step back in the same way I love stepping back with my thoughts and my emotions and saying, hey, whoa, 
what do I think about that? Is that true? Being able to have some distance from social media and not looking at it and taking everything for face value, understanding That's that this advice. is some type of performance, this is everything else. And I think if you guys have it, has anybody watched the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why? If you have kids, Stephanie, 13 Reasons Why. All, any, if you have children, sit down and watch that show so you can see how cyberbullying is really affecting our kids these days. John, you ready to ask your question? <laughs> all right, here you go. Great, he's ready. Uh, thank you guys, first of all, for being here. It's uh, definitely an honor and a pleasure. This question is actually, uh, I'm John Baudre. I'm the owner of the Global Citizens Community. And um, it's been eight years in Hong Kong. I spent eight years in Hong Kong and now in Miami and actually done a lot of work with universities as well as with social media around the world. And so um, I guess for both of you guys, what type of uh, events or uh, proposals or, or type of requests to engage with you would most likely um, be considered? And that's both for FIU as well as if somebody wanted to partner or to get on your platform or, or, or leverage your platform, in what way would they present it that you would be most likely to be received? Whether that's wanting to get an event to get partner financing with FIU or wanting to get social media partnership and leverage your brand as well. Um, to both of you guys. So it's a great question about what would be the, the things that would drive the highest amount of attraction for an institution like ours to want to partner with somebody. I think at the end of the day is it has to be an event that's thoughtful and it's about young people and connecting young people to more opportunities. Um, it has to be data-driven, so the numbers have to stack up, but it also has to have a real narrative, right? I think that oftentimes we think we, we either get lost in the numbers or we get lost in the story, and that's a very binary choice. It has to be both. But for us as an institution, anybody who's doing anything that's about the advancement and upliftment and empowerment of young people through the power of knowledge, we want to be about. And you don't have to have it packaged in this perfect way. You know, um, that, that whole notion, I think, is gone. We need to be able to almost have a startup-like mindset and being able to iterate very quickly and just go. So we're constantly um, we're constantly on the lookout for messages, whether it's coming through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it is. People don't have to have this perfectly packaged proposal. Sometimes people will post something on Facebook saying, hey, we're looking for an internship, and they'll be surprised because myself or somebody on our team will automatically respond. And so I would say if it's meaningful, thoughtful data and narrative uh, that's around the empowerment and upliftment of young people, institutions like ours and so many others in our community, whether it's FIU or Miami-Dade College or Florida Memorial University, these institutions are built to serve and empower young people, and all of us have to help hold them accountable uh, in that process. So I want to make it a little bit more fun, just in case, just just because just this is what I do. <laughs> Sheila, this question is going to be for you. Okay. All right. Did you watch the Billboards Award? Did I, the Billboards? I did not. You did not. Sorry, I saw the memes, some of them, but... <laughs> Anybody out there, did you guys watch the Billboards Award? No! No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strong no. So y'all didn't strong. see Cher, so we're going to move on. See, this is the point. This is, this is re requested, so we're going to make sure. What'd you say? You love Cher? <laughs> did you see her on stage yesterday, though? She could barely make a facial expression. I mean... Share 70 and sexy. That's what we have from the audience. <laughs> That's his commentary. Right. Sheila, have you heard about the teacher that was with the 15-year-old kid? Um, I saw just a quick headline. I don't know much about the story, though. 
What do you think that's going on with these beautiful women having to be sexual predators on young kids? Mm, I'm going to not accept the predator word, but I will say uh, I don't know the whole scenario, but maybe... He was 15. She took him home, and they got caught by the cops in the car. Doing she was taking the child home. She was taking the child house. home. <laughs> so it doesn't sound like she's taking her, him to her house. Oh, okay. She, she was, was taking the child home? home to his home. Okay. okay. <laughs> I will say this. Um, one of my favorite researchers <laughs> when it comes to desire <laughs> is Esther Perel. And she says, when, if anyone, there's any type of infidelity or anything along those lines, don't ask, like, what does that person have? But what, who did that person let you become? Who did that person let you be that you can't be? Maybe that teacher feels trapped. Maybe she can't be parts of herself with her husband or wife, if she has one, I'm not sure. Or maybe she feels trapped with her identity as a teacher. Maybe this kind of scandalous activity with this young boy allowed her to be a part of herself that she had denied and cut off. I don't know. Maybe she's just a freak. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> she likes it. Or maybe she was <laughs> expressing her shadow self. Yes, her shadow self oh, had to come out. Did I say right. that out loud? You my said bad. it all. Yes. Scythe, this is for yeah, you. Yeah, something to add. No, I got two questions. For sure. Go for you it. watch sports, right? Sometimes. <laughs> Will the Cavs go 10 and 0 and get the championship? Or will they end up losing to the Golden State Warriors in the finals? They lost? Oh, this is difficult. Uh, See, my, my son, Nabil uh, Nabs, is a huge Stephen Curry fan. Okay. And, you know, I, I got to give it up for LeBron because he has, we have some 305 connection. So in my house, um, <laughs> this is going to be pretty, pretty difficult. Um, you know, I hope maybe it's the symbolism and I, you know, I, reflecting on LeBron, when he went back home and the fact that it was about the upliftment of Northeastern Ohio and the community that he came from, I told all of my friends that you cannot fault uh, an individual for wanting to shine a light on their home community yeah. that had uh, long been forgotten. And so even though as a Heat fan, it hurt me, I understood why he did that. And so anything that he can continue to do to shine a light on his home community makes me really happy. But don't come to my house when the playoffs are going on because Nabs <laughs> and I, and anybody who knows him, he's almost about my size and he's only, he's only nine years old. So uh, he would actually be a better interviewee than myself. It'll be undecided. Hold so. on, before you, is Brian Burking still here? I know you can hear my voice. Brian, Kairos, are you still here? Where's, oh, he's right there. Look, man, I just want you and Saif to do a, a, a seminar on the best answers to support Miami. We're responding to anybody with Miami hate. When I'm hearing him talk, I just hear Brian. Y'all are so... If you follow us, uh, our Twitter exchange, Brian and I all day is, this Dope. is awesome Miami, hashtag future 305. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> Future 305, like everything that is going on in Miami that is positive, Brian and I, it. we will shine a light on it, yes. you know, even if somebody steals your spot in, pu in Publix, we're like, you deserved it, Future 305. <laughs> so, awesome. Sheila, I'm going to ask, this would be a side question, but I want you to answer it. You live here. This is your... Yes. What do you want to see change in the 305? What do you want to see happen next to take our community to the next level? 
I'm an artist, so personally, I would love to see the artistic scene in South Florida become more diversified and also larger. I feel like right now it's kind of a small niche community and it's a little bit exclusive. So to me, I would just love to see more arts all over, more, not only in Wynwood, like cool stuff going on. I would love to see the artistic vibe extend into, you know, I live in Miramar, like please, you know, like outside, Pembroke Pines, Hollywood, Fort Lauderdale, I would love to see art everywhere and all different types of art visual art theater performing music everything go ahead toy i love that miami five years since your future 305 what does it look like are we underwater uh, like what are we doing damn <laughs> hope not that was serious <laughs> so I, I, five I years was, are we dead i will say that I, I work at an institution that takes climate change very seriously we're actually the only institution in america that has a sea level rise solution center that's thinking wow. about what's coming next i'll tell everybody who's not paying attention to it that even more troubling than the the rise of the sea is actually saltwater intrusion the fact that our aquifer is being poisoned by the intrusion of salt water, which is going to ultimately affect everything that we know it. Um, it's going to call for intentional, out-of-the-box public policy decision-making. Everybody at the table that's thinking about inclusion, that's thinking about equity for everybody, that's going to be thinking about environmental justice that's holistic and not just singularly. So um, I think that it means that all of us as an engaged citizenry, it means that we're going to have to hold those who are in positions of influence and power accountable accountable for difficult and complex decision making and I think we'll be better served using more data to inform these decisions rather than narratives that run really well in very short yes. uh, 30 second commercial jingles. Yes. Wow. So do we have any more questions for the crowd before we close this out? Anybody? Nobody? I can't see. So this is what I would like to personally say. Saif, you have been one of the most amazing guests that we've had on the show. You are highly intellectual. I would love to give you a round of applause. Um, that would be one. Sheila, I know what you're doing in the community. I heard about your conference this weekend from Latoya. Congratulations, but I applaud you for being a strong black woman and everything you're doing in the community. We appreciate cool. you. Um, and Toya, thank you for holding us down. But more than all, uh, there's a couple of people that came out here specifically for one reason. And I know uh, my homeboy Robert, Brian Burkeen, Stephanie, um, Sam, I know you guys came out here for my birthday and that means a lot for me. Aww. But I wanted to work on my birthday and I wanted to work because this Wait, is what is it's today about. today your birthday? Yesterday was, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Did you see, sing you the Stevie Wonder happy birthday song later? The black, the black happy birthday? <laughs> happy birthday. So look, I just want you guys to know most people are working and this is what it's about building our community. So we want to say thank you to everybody that came out to support uh, our two guests. Please buy them another drink. Buy yourself a drink. Thank you for coming out. We want to thank the Knight Foundation for their support. Thank you to FIU. As you can see, I'm in my FIU booklet today. Thank you to Sheila for coming out and please support her movement. Thank you to Digital Grass, World Famous Alpha Mac. And you know what? More than anything, thank you to Chef Teach for giving us this opportunity because he opened up this door for us in the Wynwood Yard. So please, next Monday, come back. Tell somebody. Bring a friend. But we appreciate you guys for coming out and supporting Tech Beats and Bites. Enjoy the rest of your night. We appreciate everybody. Thank you. Thank you.